Hey, welcome here. Glad to see you here. Glad to see Tony back. He doesn't like me acknowledging that, but... Hey, um, I do read the news sometimes, and uh, I had a couple things that kind of uh, caught my attention I wanted to, to uh, share with you before we get started in our study. Uh, number one, um, and I told my daughter last night, I said, uh, now you have an excuse. Uh, and it says this, rise in violence linked to climate change. Amen. <laughs> You know, they find these interesting things. It says that the team says with, with current projected levels of climate change, the world is likely to become a more violent place. So we can always blame it on something else. It's climate change. That's why I'm such, in such a bad mood and I'm so angry and I'm so mean to you. Now, I, I get kind of cranky during bad weather, too, when it gets really hot. I have trouble dealing with it. And some of you, uh, some of you ladies have, have expressed that certain times in your lives that it, heat kind of really gets to you. That was the air conditioning just coming on, so we're, we got you covered here. One guy said, though, uh, we want to be careful. You don't want to attribute any single event to climate in particular, but there are some really interesting results. He said there could be also a physiological basis, and, uh, but then someone else said, Commenting on the latest research, someone else said, I disagree with the, sleep, the sweeping conclusion that the authors draw and believe that their strong statement about a general causal link. So, you know, we, we, we don't know for sure. The, the jury is still sort of out on that, but um, it's always good to have something you can blame your bad attitude on. Uh, one other thing, though, that this really kind of interests me even more, though, is genetic. How many of you saw this? Genetic Adam and Eve uncovered. Any of you, did you, any of you catch that? Genetic Adam and Eve uncovered. Let me read this to you. Almost every man alive can trace his origins to one man who lived about 135,000 years ago. New research suggests and that ancient man likely shared the planet with the mother of all women. Interesting. You know, this is from Science Magazine. This is, you know, this is a scientific journal that came up with this. And, and uh, I find it interesting just because, you know, science eventually will discover that everything that God says is true. They, you know, when you, the, the 135,000 years, that's obviously a little bit uh, skewed in my opinion. But I think it's because of the when you read the article, how they came about to decide the number of years and all that. But this is interesting. Despite their overlap in time, ancient quote-unquote Adam and ancient quote-unquote Eve probably didn't even live near each other, let alone mate. And then in brackets it says, the ten biggest mysteries of the first humans. Really? How did you know that? How do you know that? Later on, it says the details get fuzzy. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah, we understand about that. I, you know, I know science, you know, I'm, I, I, I love science, and I think too, but I think the more science uh, gets into it, the more that they see that, there's, that what the Bible says is true and what the Bible says is right. So, anyways, let's open our Bibles to First uh, Thessalonians. Chapter 1, we're starting a new book today. I just wanted to talk for a few minutes so about uh, 
kind of leading up to that. Um, but, but last week we finished the book of Joel, and I loved, I, I loved that study. It's, it's just a, a three short chapters, but much of it looking ahead to the day of the Lord and, and the prophecy of the end times and kind of, kind of opening my eyes and thoughts to it. The, you know, chapter three there, they, they call the, the final conflict in earth's history. And, but the bottom line of the, that whole picture for me was that God isn't finished with the nation of Israel and God is not finished with you and with me. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's going to finish it. And what he says he will do, you know, whether the scientists agree with what the Bible says or not, what God says in this book, he will do. And he keeps his promises. And, and, and the, the truth of it is that God will always have, his, have the last word. You know when you're in an argument with someone, you know, who, who gets the last word, you got to... No, God, God's word is the last word. He, he will always, always, always have the last word. And for all who believe, the last word for you and me, for all who believe, the last word is heaven. That's the last word, heaven. He's prepared that place for you and for me. Now today, if I said to you, real places, real people, what would you say? Real places, real people. Come on, go ahead and say it. Huh? Real cases. What's the rest? I have a confession to make, but I want to see if any of you can get it first. Real cases, real people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Real places, real people. Real cases, real people. Judge Judy. I, I watch Judge Judy. I have a confession to make. You're all waiting for the big confession. I'll save that for next week. And you'll, then you'll, you'll, this place will be packed next week. He's going to have a big confession next week. It's all going to come out. It's already all out. I got nothing to hide. I'm, I'm just a sinner, and God has put me here. Real places, real people, though, is what I've talked about, what I'm, what I'm looking at in the book of Thessalonians here. Instead of Judge Judy, it's Paul's journeys. Real places, real people, and Paul's journeys. And that's what we've been talking about, and that's what we're looking at here in the book of First Thessalonians. Though we don't always recognize these place names... How many of you have ever been to Thessalonia, Thessalonica? How about Thessaloniki? We don't always recognize these places or these names, but these are historical, these are historical accounts of what happened. These aren't just stories that people made up. This is stuff that really happened, that happened, and they were written to real people. They were written about real places just like you and me. And, and just like the place we live in, just like Rhode Island and Providence and North Kingstown and all the places that you and I live in. We looked recently, most recently, at this place called Colossae. And that was a, a place where Paul wrote this letter to the letter of Colossians, which we just finished. And it was a small town that Paul had never been to himself. But there was another guy, Epaphras, who had been there and, and started this fellowship, this church there. But Paul saw they needed teaching and encouragement, so he wrote the letter of Colossians. That little town was later destroyed, they say, by an earthquake. But where it was located is in the modern-day uh, modern uh, country of Turkey. It's an actual place. There, it's there. Never rebuilt, though. 
Before that, we looked at a place called Philippi. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians too. You say, where are you going with all this? You'll, you'll see in a minute. And, and Philippi was a real place where he actually went to on his second missionary journey. The second mission. How many journeys did he have? He went three and then he went to Rome. But this is in his second missionary journey, right? And he went there in response to God's direction. The vision of the man of Macedonia. We'll read that in a little bit. But he went there and he ministered to real people, people, people whose lives were changed by the gospel, by the power of God. Lives were changed, radically changed. You remember people like Lydia. Her life was radically changed. There was a servant girl who was set free from a demonic spirit. Her life was radically changed. But, but through that, you see, Paul had, had gotten there, and these radical things were happening, but it wasn't an easy path for him. It wasn't easy what happened because after the servant girl got set free, Paul and Silas actually got thrown into prison. They got beaten with rods, thrown into prison, and they're on their quote-unquote missionary journey, and, say, and they ended up in prison. Well, I, you know, I'm serving God, and why am I in prison? How did this ever happen? But that really wasn't their attitude because it says about midnight, you remember, Paul and Silas, they were praying and they were singing hymns to God in the prison. And God did a miraculous thing. All these other prisoners, of course, listening, like, what are those two guys? What are they all about? But God sent an earthquake there and the doors were opened and, and the jailer, God worked in the heart, the heart of the jailer and then the jailer's family and the jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? And, and, and they answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. This is Paul going out now. He's just being obedient. I like what Chris had to say. Just, just stepping out to do what God had called him to do. And radical things were happening. But, but, but it, it wasn't always easy. It's not always easy to do what God has called you and I to do. Now that place, Philippi, was in a... It's now, it's actually still a place, still a city. It's called Philippoi is the current translation, the current pronunciation, and it's in modern-day Greece. It's in the country of Greece. Now, today we're going to start this study here in 1 Thessalonians. It's a new book. It's another place. Let's read uh, verse 1 there. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. After this very difficult time, but very fruitful time in the city of Philippi, Paul and his team moved on. They pretty much said, listen, you really need to move on. You need to go. And, and they, this is where they ended up, in a place called Thessalonica. Today, this city is called Thessaloniki. Have any of you ever heard of it? Some of you? Any of you? It's a real place. It's a very large city in the country of Greece. It's the second largest city, a very busy place. In fact, uh, there are some in, the, in the, the greater area of Thessalonica, there are like 800,000 people, almost the size of the whole state of Rhode Island. That's a lot of people today, second only to the city of Athens. As a matter of fact, my grandmother was born there, and she later on, moved to the United States. 
Let's pick up the story. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts because Acts chapter 17, so you can see where this church came from and how this church was formed and and how it came about and, and what God did there. It's very interesting because every church is different. Every church is formed in in different ways and different people are God brings together to start churches and how does it happen it's really a miraculous thing in my estimation how churches are formed and and what God does to bring people together and really that's kind of what I see this is about it's a miraculous thing that God brought these people together so we'll see that here in Acts chapter 17 Thessalonica when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. Again, at that time, there were only about 200,000 people, but that's still a pretty large city. It was the largest city in that area of Macedonia in the capital. It was the capital of that province. It was a seaport city kind of right on the, on the water, and it, you know, in some ways, it was kind of like Providence, up the kind of up the bay and up there, and a, you know, a lot of trade and commerce was there in that city. It also had a main Roman highway that went right through the middle of the city, the Ignatian Way. So going, you know, east to west, and and then you have the water, uh, you know, the the trade coming up. So. Paul is out here now on his second missionary journey. Look at back at, ch- at chapter 16 of Acts in verses 9 and 10. I mentioned this earlier. It says, during the night, this is on their second missionary journey, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is where this church began, really. It began in the vision of of the man of Macedonia. Again, Philippi was in this area of Macedonia, and now Thessalonica is also in this area of Macedonia. But it's a a vision that Paul has that they had people... uh, that, that were in need over there. Come over to Macedonia and help us. The biggest help that Paul could bring them was what? The gospel. The, the, the truth. The truth about Jesus Christ. So after Paul's had this time, he has this vision. They travel to Macedonia. He has his time in, in Philippi and then travels through these other two places but ends up there in Thessalonia or Thessalonica. He was called to the Gentiles. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles because he had such a ha- but he had such a heart for the Jewish people. It says here that his custom was that he went into a Jewish synagogue. Verse 2, and as his custom was, chapter 17, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. 
He gets there to this place. He goes to the Jewish synagogue. That's what he would normally do. He had such a heart for the Jewish people, though, he wouldn't stick there because God had opened up his heart really for the Gentiles. That was his real ministry. But he, he would always go there first. And notice what, it, what he started off, he would, he would kind of teach them. It says he reasoned with them. And this word reason means that he would, he would uh, discourse or talk back and forth with questions and answers. And, and, and they would have questions and he would answer them. Maybe he would ask them questions. And back and forth, well, what, you know, what, what do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you think about this? And he would reason with them. And then it says that he would explain to them, and, and the word means to open it up. He would open it up to them about Jesus Christ and who he is. And then it says he would prove it. But the, the whole message, the point, was Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Christ. He would talk to them on this level. We're going to see in a minute. He, just, he didn't just talk to them and explain to them, but it, it got to the heart. First, it, it began there, and you, and you have to understand. You, don't, you, you, know, you have questions. You want to know what is life all about? What is the meaning to life? Is life worth living at all? Been studying in Ecclesiastes, that's the, the question that he's answering there. Is life even worth living at all? Well, Paul knew that this was the answer about Jesus Christ. This Jesus, this Jesus, the Jesus who had to suffer and rise from the dead. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the one that we all need. You, you know, Paul, Paul would go to a place and, and the, the most important thing that he ever would talk about was the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? He would talk with him. You can imagine him discussing and reasoning and asking questions. Why do you think Jesus Christ had to die upon the cross? Why did he rise from the dead? Why does that make any difference for you and for me? What does that have to do with anything in this life? That's a religious thing. That's religion. But for Paul, it was, it was not just religion, was it? It was, it was reality for him. The greatest thing in his life, and as he came to know Jesus Christ, he said, there's no greater thing in all of life but knowing Jesus Christ. But, but knowing him as my Lord, as my Savior, that he died on the cross, he died for me. He didn't just die some, you know, for, you know, to make some statement. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. The price that I owed, the price that you owe, that you owed, he died for you to pay that price for each one of us, or every man, woman, and child on the earth. His, his death was for the sin of the whole human race. His resurrection, the fact that he defeated death, the two, biggest, the two biggest enemies that you and I have are sin and death. You say death and taxes, but it's sin and death. Taxes is third. Sin and death are first. Sin and death, that's the biggest enemy. Oh, death, where is your sting? Sin and death are our two biggest enemies. How are you going to beat sin and how are you going to beat death? There is no way you can do it. But Jesus Christ came and did it. And that's what Paul came. He said, 
the, the, the man begging, come over here and help us in Macedonia. This is what you need. He said, we concluded that they needed to hear about Jesus Christ and you and I need to hear about Jesus Christ. There is no other message that we can tell this world. There is no other message that is going to help you and me in this life, but the reality of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, of walking with Him, knowing that He's the Lord as my shepherd. I shall not want. You remember uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus and he was walking along with two people and it says that they didn't recognize who he was. They didn't know who he was, but he was walking along with them and they're like talking about all the stuff that was ha- had happened about Jesus. And Jesus said to them, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You see, when Paul was reasoning and explaining and proving to them, it wasn't just his own ideas. He was using, again, he was explaining from the scriptures, from the book. That's, what, that's why we open the Bible. That's why we studied the Bible, because the truth is all right here. And Jesus himself went with these two on the road to Emmaus, and he opened up the scriptures and, and explained to them why. Why did the Messiah, the Christ, have to die? Why did he rise from the dead? And perhaps he was speaking as Paul was, from different Old Testament passages like Psalm 16 and Psalm 22, the Psalm of the Cross, Isaiah 53, incredible. You read that, you go, wow, that is, that is Jesus dying upon the cross for us, is it not? You can see the resurrection in there as well. The sign of Jonah, which we, were, we will get to in a, a few months or longer. The Passover, the spotless lamb in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and so many other Old Testament passages that looked ahead to Jesus Christ dying and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It wasn't a surprise in heaven. It was all prophesied. This message that Jesus had to suffer. He had to suffer. Jesus Christ had to suffer. There's no other way. That's why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane right? What, what happened there? He said this, if there is any other way, take this cup from me, right? And, and what happened? There was no other way. He had to suffer. There's no other way. But he also had to rise from the dead because if he didn't rise from the dead, he would have just been like anybody else, just dead. His death would have been ineffective. He said there, this Jesus, Acts 17, is the, that I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. This Jesus that I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. So we see he reasoned with them, he explained to them, he proved to them, but also he proclaimed to them. And this idea, it goes beyond just what we think about. It goes to actually to the heart where it really is a call to receive him. Now you hear about Jesus Christ, I hear about him, but there comes a point in time where response is required. Response is required. And you know what they say, just in case you haven't heard this before, no response 
is a response, is a response against. But response is required. It's not just head knowledge. it's, It's got to reach our hearts. And as we see here in these next few verses, there was, a, there was quite a bit of response happening. And when we stand before the judgment seat of God, when we stand before the Father in heaven and Jesus Christ, what is going to make the difference is what kind of response have we made? What kind of response did we have to Jesus Christ? That's what, that's what it's all going to be about. What did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus Christ? Did you receive him? Did you believe in him? Or did you just say maybe later? Or did you say, never mind, no thank you? Response required. Look at verse 4. Acts 17. Some of the Jews were persuaded. And they joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks or Gentiles, and not a few prominent women. There were some Jews, but there was a large number of these God-fearing Gentiles, these Greeks. They they would come along and they would actually go to the synagogues because they they had something stirring inside them and they would go to hear the truth. They wanted to hear the truth. And when, when Paul came and said, man, Jesus is the way, they go, wow, this is exactly what we've been waiting for. This is the truth. And not a few prominent women The response was positive by them. Now, Paul and Silas and Timothy, you know, this team, they got there. And again, back to this idea of forming a church, they just got there and, and, you know, they didn't get there with, you know, their little handbook, you know, the 10 steps to starting and forming a New Testament church, right? Okay, Silas, I want you to, you know, play the guitar, and, uh, you know, Timothy, you hand out the bulletins and we're just going to go in there and we're going to we're going to, you know, give the 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 four spiritual laws and we're going to this is this is how we're going to do it. They didn't do that at all, did they? They they were obedient. They 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 felt like they needed to go out and they simply shared the message of Jesus Christ. You and I think, you know, to let to, to tell someone else the message, we need to have it all figured out. No, we just need to say, listen, Jesus changed my life and, and Jesus can change yours and he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. You do with it what you will. But I know that he's changed my life. He went, they went, they shared the message and God brought the results, right? We see that here. God brought these results. It wasn't because Paul was like some fantastic old preacher, In fact, uh, he says, you know, he could barely speak. He needed some help. But Paul said in in, in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Just the simple gospel message that Jesus, he had to suffer, that he rose from the dead. We're all persuaded? No. Look at verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. They formed a mob and they started a riot in the city. And they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. 
But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. And then they made Jason and the others postpone. They let them go. Isn't it interesting who made this radical response? It was the Jews. It was the religious ones who thought that they understood it all. It was really a matter of pride. They were jealous. They wanted... They wanted the power. They were envious. They wanted the prestige. They want everybody to come to them. Jealousy and envy. What's interesting when you think about it, though, isn't exactly that, isn't that exactly what Paul used to do? He used to do the exact same thing. He would go and, and get Christians and turn them in. To the authorities and some that were that were persecuted to their deaths, and Paul being a part of it, being there in the earlier chapters of Acts where Stephen was put to death for his faith, Paul was there. Paul had such a heart for the Jewish people, and, and I and, and you can imagine, you can think, you know, he was there. He, he cared for, and he he knew, you know, I've done the same thing. Maybe he told them that. Listen, I know what you're thinking and feeling, and I thought the same thing, but Jesus is real. And Jesus changed my life. And Jesus died for you and for me, and he rose from the dead. I like what it says there. It says the, you know, the, the, the ones that were shouting, they said this, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. One translation says, these men who have turned the world upside down, King James Version. They've turned the world upside down. They've come here now to cause trouble. Well, the truth is, it wasn't these men that was causing the trouble. And it wasn't these men that were turning everything upside down. It was God that was doing that. But what I believe is that the world's already upside down. You see, when Jesus comes into the picture, he turns it right side up. The, world's, the world is upside down. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to see that. Look around and understand the world. It's messed up. It's upside down from the way that God intended, from, the, from what God set up in the, the Garden of Eden and, 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 and walking with God in the garden there. Jesus truly is the, the king. He didn't come to create and to take a, a political kingdom, as they were trying to say he was. But he was the king, and he is the king. Revelation, I, you'll find it there, he's the king of kings. Look at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a, a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. 
It, it says earlier, some in Thessalonica of the Jews believe. Here, many believe. Why? Because they went to the Scriptures every day. They went and they had eagerness. They had an open heart and they went to the Scriptures to see what, if what Paul said was true. And they found out that it was. But verse 13, when the Jews in Thessalonica, they learned that Paul was preaching the word of God, Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed there. They went to Berea, and these Jews from Thessalonica, they went there too, causing problems, and they had to move on from there too. So looking at this picture here, we don't know the exact number of days, but it was measured in days how long Paul was in the city of Thessalonica. He was only there a very short time. Perhaps it was only, three, it says here, three Sabbaths, right? Perhaps he was there a little bit longer. Some say it might have been three months. But that's still not a very long period of time, is it? Yet, a church was established, this church in Thessalonica, this church that Paul then later wrote this letter to. A church was established after maybe a month, let's say. A church established by Paul being obedient with Silas and Timothy going there. Now, is that the norm? Is that the norm with missionaries going out? In, you know, three weeks, in a month, they've got, a, you know, this radical work going on? Certainly not. William Carey, the great missionary, went to India. He ministered for seven years until he had his first convert. Seven years until he had his first convert. But what I find, what I find important about this passage and about the church of Thessalonica is that... that it was so important to gather these people together and to organize as a church. This is part of God's plan, gathering people together as a church. Now, is that always possible? No, it's not, depending on what's going on. But, but Paul wanted to see them, and, they, and, and even in that very short period of time, they were organized, they were gathered together for teaching and for fellowship and for breaking of bread and of prayer, as we see in Acts 2.42. Later on, Paul sent Timothy back to check on them and strengthen their faith, and then Paul wrote this letter of 1 Thessalonians, which we're going to start next week, because he heard about them that they were, you know, he heard about them, they were still together, they were, they were growing, they were strong. But, but Paul wanted to write this letter to, to teach them and, and that they might become strong in the faith. I heard somebody speaking in the hallway about they were reading a book about someone who became a believer and, and really didn't have any kind of foundation, didn't have any kind of teaching, and, 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 they, kind of helped, and they kind of got into you know, trouble in different ways because of that. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for the believers, and that's for you and I to gather together. Chris called it a family, for us to be a family together, to walk together to learn together, to grow together, to become, you know, uh, strengthening one another, like, you know, iron sharpening iron. 
So Paul's writing back to this church now that's formed after this very short period of time. It was a miraculous thing. It's a miraculous. I, I believe God brings churches together and forms them miraculously. What, what happens, though, is, is, and you say, well, all churches don't seem that way, but they were formed that way. And, and what, ha- what happens is, we, you know, we get to be more religious like the Jews were, and we get to be more kind of stuck in tradition. And, and like Paul says in Galatians, you know, you began in the spirit, and now you're trying to finish in the flesh. You're trying to complete and go on in the flesh, and we get into the flesh, and we're, we're just trying to make it all happen by our own efforts and, and that. But the church is God's plan, the church, gathering people together to learn and grow. That's God's plan. That's why we're here today. Fellowship, teaching, breaking of bread and prayer. One of the most interesting things about this letter and all I'll close with this thought, is one of the biggest themes in this letter, really in First and Second Thessalonians, is that he talks about the second coming of Jesus over and over and over again. In fact, in First Thessalonians, there's a, a reference to it at the end of every chapter. In First Thessalonians. Some people call the First and Second Thessalonians the eschat eschatological letters of Paul. That means end time stuff of Paul. That's kind of interesting. He answers a lot of stuff too just about living as believers, but there's a big focus on the last days and the coming of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's one of the things that we kind of lose sometimes, that we're, we don't, we've lost sight that Jesus is coming back. Yeah, it may not be today, but are we ready for him if it is today? You and I need all that. But mostly we need Jesus who suffered and died for us, who rose from the dead and is going to return for you and for me. Response required, every one of us. What's your response been? What's my response been to receive him or to chase him away like the Jews did? We want you out of here. Say, well, I would never do that. Maybe. But sometimes just not deciding for him, that's the same kind of thing. He won't stay where he's not wanted. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for men like Paul and Silas and Timothy, this team, these guys working together as a little team and just going out to serve and and going out to uh, share the gospel, the good news that life is found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died and gave his life and rose from the dead. And that is the good news. That is the gospel. That is the message that will save us. That is the message that will take us to heaven. And so, Lord, we, each one of us, we, we stop and we, we think, well, what, what's going on in my life? What kind of, what kind of uh, working is going on in my life? What kind of response have I made to the message, to the truth? And maybe it's been many years since I received Jesus Christ, but even today, what's my response to the working of God in my life today as I woke up today? We sang that song, I Am Yours. Is, is Is that the truth? Are we just singing songs and not meaning what they say? Lord, help us, Lord. We we are sinners. We are 
you know, living in these bodies of flesh and the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But God, we, we know that, that you hear our cries and that you hear the, the cry of our hearts to follow you, to serve you. And help us, Lord, I pray. You are our shepherd. We can follow you even through the valley of the shadow of death because you're faithful and you've got a plan and you've got a purpose. Real places, real people, this place Thessalonica, these people there that responded to the truth about Jesus, Paul and Silas and Timothy, real people who went out at great cost to themselves to just be obedient. Lord, I pray for each one of us, these real people sitting here today, that we would, we would be obedient. We would just do what you called us to do, Lord. Whether that's being an usher or a greeter or, or working with Sunday school or setting up a fence for a festival or cutting grass, whatever it might be, Lord, you've called us to participate in this family, this church. I do pray for our church, Lord, that you would protect our church, Lord, from attacks and, and not only attacks, but from apathy and from uh, laziness uh, that we would just become some kind of religious or even social meeting place, but, but we would have a vibrant uh, purpose and to fulfill that vision, that call that you've given to the church and also to our church in particular. So help us, Lord. I pray for any here this morning as well that they've heard again about the cross, about Jesus dying for their sins and they need to make a response. And perhaps today is the day you want to respond. Perhaps today is the day that you would say, okay, I'm lost. I've been looking. I've been searching. Today, I want to I give Jesus Christ a chance in my life. If that's you today, you, you simply, with your heart, with your mind, with everything you have, simply open up your life and say, Jesus, please, come into my life. Come into my life and save me. Give me hope and a future. Lord Jesus, Hear the cries of your people and hear the cries of any who might have prayed that prayer this morning and, and do a radical, radical work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more time, shall we?